0: Mastering
1: Retention, presented by UserWise. Welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention podcast. Really excited to be joined by Jacob Bramier, who is currently uh, head of monetization at Traplight. Jacob, I I think I first came across you uh, in... One of the other presentations that you had done, which was about uh, ad monetization, and you were just saying so many things that I have, uh, you know, long said and and really thought about. I was even playing a game yesterday and I was like, oh, I bet Jacob would do it this way. But, you know, what they were doing is at the start of the level, like you could opt to use some of your cards and it's like a puzzle level or something like that get some boosters beforehand Um, but you had to like use the stuff that you had or afterwards you got like a forced ad and i was like i bet jacob would do like a rewarded video at the start of it which i would probably watch every time instead of getting this like forced video view where i just like i got it like the first level and i would have just rage quit and quit the game had i not been trying to give people feedback on something but i was like oh Jacob could make this game so much better but um yeah, so you spoke to me and I'm, I'm just delighted to have you on the podcast today. Uh, before we dive into things, though, you know, I always like to ask guests, what's your story? How did you get to where you are today? How'd you get into games?
0: First of all, thanks for having me. Nice for the invitation. Um, concerning games, I guess my story is a little bit um, strange or not that straightforward, I would say. Uh what I, How I got into games started pretty much during my university years. Uh, my background is psychology. Actually, I have a PhD from psychology, and I was really heavy into VR. And it was during those years, 2014, 2014. 16 pretty much like at the ha- height of oculus craze where everybody was saying that vr is the next platform and <laughs> we're gonna all wear headset and everything so i was really into that uh, especially like m- most of my research that i look forward to was from stanford virtual human interaction lab that's like really like really top top notch lab and i was approached by a gaming company here in slovakia actually the biggest one pixel federation because uh there was actually a friend of mine in the company that was building a vr game and he was just going back and forth with me into my office at university, getting some advice and stuff. And at one point he just said like, why don't you just work with us? And yeah. then, <laughs> then it happened pretty much. So we built up a VR puzzler called Collab, uh, pretty much in, similar to like Portal. So four and a half hour experience, fully narrated, hundreds of puzzles. But of course it didn't really took off because the market didn't took off. So uh, <laughs> we, we managed to port it on Samsung Gear VR, Oculus, Oculus I don't know what was the standalone one but yeah from pretty much all the vr we can get our hands on but yeah didn't really took off but still it kind of opened my eyes to like the gaming industry as it is because i always like Wanted to do something with games. I was teaching cyber psychology at the university anyway. So stuff like World of Warcraft was on top of my list <laughs> there. Uh actually my bachelor thesis was done on MMOs and like how human interaction works in MMOs. And that's like a very, very specific topic. But from there on, I pretty much learned a lot of in and out of mobile gaming at the company. Uh as it was like mainly the main portfolio of the gaming company, Pixel Federation, was mobile games um, anyway. And it was getting it it pretty much figured out that yeah, this VM. I think was really good, uh, like. R&D and like double into going like maybe other directions, but in the end, it stays on mobile road. So I just continued from there on and pretty much became a mobile game designer, I would say, but more of a like a Swiss knife thing because I always like to talk about uh, with people from marketing, with people from monetization, with people from ads. So a like game designer in, in my my book is something <laughs> that you pretty much need to at least a bit of every craft. Yeah, one time we put together
1: this uh, graph of like all the things you need to know to be like a live ops person or a game designer and it was just like filled with all these different kinds of roles and knowledge it's crazy how it's all you know intertwined together and such do you often use your you know psychology background when you approach things like designing a new feature or thinking about monetization
0: um it helps a lot i would say uh some of the things are really specific and actually if you look at some of the like famous a b tests like let's uh, let's say like one of my favorite ones is the one where king published it actually when they move the plus five moves from within the level after the level and just that framing and that context made it sell like multiple times higher and the conversion just skyrocketed because it was that framing of a context that during the level if you get the plus five moves you really didn't wanted it but if you lo- if you lost the level and you just had those three moves empty uh, near your goal and you had that offer right in front of your eyes that's what's really kicked in the offer conversion and, and a lot of these things are pretty much like behavioral psychology or cognitive psychology and those are like uh, for 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 the listeners, I would uh, recommend reading the Thinking Fast and Slow for, from Kahneman, uh, the guy who actually got the Nobel Peace, Peace Prize from it. So good. So, so, yeah. No, sorry. Nobel, Nobel Prize for Behavioral Economics. Yeah, sorry. And uh, yeah, that, that's that's a lot of knowledge there, right, for like a, like a casual listener. You don't need to be a psychologist to absorb that. So that's something that I would really say works really well. So behavior of psychology overall, and then maybe some of the processes and some of the things like, let's say, um... Maybe let's take an example that's currently trending on the market, the merge genre. So merge genre is currently really, I would say, the next match tree or something like that. And you can yep. see pretty, pretty much from the mechanic itself that it has an addictive nature in itself. And it's really simple to use, really simple to play, and it's really approachable. So you could mm-hmm. see some of the aspects of the psychology right there that, yeah, that this is something that heavily uses the psychology behind it.
1: Yeah, I think I, I actually... I I don't know if this one will be out before it, but I think in the uh, the Iron Source level up conference, I I did a uh, psychology of monetization where we actually talk through like the closer that you can tie a psychological cue to like a monetization action. The more powerful your monetization is like, you know, taking that example of uh, match three and King's games or I think I used Royal Match, which is Mm -hmm. that game kind of blows my mind lately. Uh, but they they always or nearly always, you always end failing the level where you finally set up the, the huge explosion. And then it's like the plus five moves. And if you decide not to do the plus five moves, well, then they hit you with the loss aversion of, oh, you're going to lose all the stuff that you accumulated. And it's like, oh, do I really want to like go through the pain of all that level again? And I did all this work to set up Like I earned this moment and all I have to do is pay a little. And as soon as I pay, I get that big explosion and the reward of winning the level and keeping all my stuff. And it just reinforces that cycle uh, so much. So it's super cool to to be able to apply psychology to things. But uh, one thing that I I know you have a lot of experience with, and uh, I think this is probably one of the two biggest problems I see like every studio facing. And those two problems are, you know, how do I create a game that is so much fun and so interesting and so engaging that players are going to quit Whatever other game they are already playing, mm-hmm. and not only playing, but they've invested time, money, and energy into. You know, it's no small feat, and that's why I see games, large and small, getting soft launched and ultimately killed. Like it, it seems to be getting harder and harder because the games that are out there, like your Candy Crushes, like they're trying to keep their players around. So you're constantly battling them with like these soft launch games and concepts and things, and so it, it continually raising the bar. Um, and then you know, the second problem is if you manage to do that, how do you keep those players around for the long term? So then you enter the you know the battle phase how do I you know keep those players around give them engaging content and stuff Uh, but today I really wanted to kind of focus on that that first one which is okay you know I've come up with a game concept and I want Mm -hmm. to soft launch it um, but you know what is the right way to do that and uh, what are some things that I should be thinking through when I'm doing a soft launch and like you know as an example I know one of the big with soft launch is it's very difficult to get consistent metrics, even from like Facebook, because you're acquiring fewer users. So, you know, retention or monetization yep. can, can skew, you know, drastically, or even like from, you know, group to group, it can skew very drastically. And, you know, it's sometimes hard to know, well, did I mess something up? Or did I do something amazing in the product? Or did I just get a good batch of users this time and you know some of those things can be really challenging so um, i guess maybe we could like come up with a little story here of like let's say we decided to start a a game company and we've created a great new game game prototype it's captivating to us captivating to um, some friends maybe we even did a play test cloud or Mm -hmm. are thinking about doing a play test cloud like what is the best way for me to actually take this game and potentially get it to global launch.
0: I think this is the part where usually companies make it or break it. Uh, pretty much, you don't he- you don't hear about all those like failed games or failed companies because usually it's the first game for the whole company. Th- that one doesn't make it is over. Uh, of course, we don't even need to talk about the Supercell graveyard that is famously <laughs> known around the industry. But uh, yeah, if we if we get to the point that at least we. We agree on some concept or market or something. Then comes the hard part because some, of, some, or let's say a lot of people just launch because they they know something, or they have the know-how, or they come from some kind of different genre. Then, then it's like a simple way because we have the know-how. We can go and we know we can make it because we know how the genre works. But usually, uh, looking for a blue ocean is the best thing, but also the hardest thing. Uh, let me get a good example. So let's say if you remember those days when Clash Royale launched in 2016, there were a lot and lot a lot of clones, and you pretty much see none of those today. But if you if you uh, look at some, let's say, more smart moves from those days, like for instance, Golf Clash, where the developers at Playdemic, they pretty much used the metagame of Clash Royale of the arena system, the unlocking system, and put it in a completely different core gameplay and a completely different audience, which means they were not going directly against the CPIs and the market share of Clash Royale. They made it. So I think this is... This is the hardest part and this is the best part that you can do. That pretty much do smart iteration, do plus one, always check your market. Like if you're going into those like blood oceans, meaning that one game is taking like 60% of the revenue from the genre, you will you will be pretty much struggling. That's if you if you if you even have the the means and the possibilities to get into the genre because okay if you're like a, if you're like a big company that is able to do really big UA marketing budgets that you will need to to do pretty much there uh, yeah Do it. Of course, if you want to get market share, you want to diversify, it's possible. And definitely it's possible even within that thing that we talk about that some genres just work like that, that you have one game for the player and he's investing all his resources and time in in that one game. But if if we let's say take something like Match 3 or like a story episodes game, people play one, run out of lives or energy, and then switch to the other. And it's completely okay for them to, Mm. you know, play multiples of those. But it's let's say some like more heavy genre, like forex, for instance. Forex <laughs> games are infinitely, <laughs> infinitely uh, like uh, time hungry and like effort hungry, and you need to invest a lot of time and resources in it. And you really don't have time to make a second game of war or Rise of Kingdoms in your playtime. Mm-hmm. So in order to get the players there, you need to really up the the feature set. So you have some, you have some kind of like let's say standardized features that is rising every year meaning that the approachableness of ui the quality of control the you know the map still gets upgraded the interactions and the battles between players are getting better and better and at some point people are just used to it and if you if you don't even have these features you can't compete at all so you need to even up the feature set and increase it in a way that you will have something that will be the cutting edge thing. Like let's say Rise of Kingdoms added the the feature with generals and commanders that Game of War uh, has to some degree, but they have pretty much a gacha system right there. And it's much, much, much more approachable. So they were able to do this, but in order to get into a genre that's already heavily saturated, I would advise against, because it's still better to do this like smart plus one iteration rather than picking some functional part of the mechanic or like having an innovation on either meta game or core gameplay and going the other way around because you always will go against someone else's marketing budget and you don't want to do that
1: so you know thinking about this like early stage of a game and, and maybe I'm, I'm trying to figure out like what my necessary feature set should be because, mm-hmm. well, I, I think sometimes, you know, let's say I want to make a Forex game. Like I could mm-hmm. look at Rise of Kingdom, Kingdoms and I can make a list of all of the features that they have in there. Probably not all of them are necessary. Now, I, I would agree that there are some that are crucial and, and that does grow, um, but there's also some that probably aren't necessary. So, you know, early on, if I'm trying to scope that out or, you know, figure out where I need to be, you know, what's your recommendation around like doing a play test internally or like with friends, a closed beta, a soft launch, or like a play test cloud, you know, like when and where would you choose to do like each one of those things? And like, what sort of goal would you try to get out of those?
0: I would maybe take one step back and talk even about the other thing, which is the bigger problem here and <laughs> the elephant in the room. What's your production capacity and the production capacity of your team? Because different games have different production needs and maintenance needs. And this also goes into UA. Let's say if you want to test out a PvP synchronous game in soft launch, you will need to hit some kind of CCU in order for matchmaking to work, which means you need to spend more marketing budget than asynchronous multiplayer Game. So that right that first decision, which can be really, really tiny conversations somewhere there during brainstorming, can shape the fate of your game. So I would say uh make sure you map out your production needs and your production capacity and also like the needs that will come after global launch, because some games are just run on content treadmill. You need to upkeep the game with fresh amount of levels, content, assets, events, whatever you need, you still need to invest resources in that. And that's, let's say, one of the hardest thing that Supercell does, that those games are usually being able to be run by really small cell teams of up to 10 people, because the design is built like that. It's built really smartly in a way that usually the recycles user-generated content, meaning that users are the content. But if we say something like, let's say, for instance, uh, Gardenscapes, Guardianscapes needs an upkeep mm-hmm. of levels. Players will run out of levels. You need to add more. You need events. You need new assets. You need all of these other things that will pretty much require a production team that's still not production, like live ops team that will still maintain the game. So I would say that's the first thing you should like consider. After you have that figured out, um, yeah, the usual, usual road to go is build a prototype that's workable, starting with the core gameplay, make sure it's fun, and then you can start... Uh, Pretty much doing an MVP. So something that's being able to be put on playtest cloud and yeah share with your friends. Close beta again I wouldn't really recommend because it's it's more of a question if it's a multiplayer game or like if the multiplayer is the center component. But uh yeah playtest cloud is always great in a way that it can pinpoint the the right players for your game really easily and you can you can filter out stuff that you don't yeah. want to that you that you directly want. And what you can get from that is the optimization of the tutorial and funnel. But right after that you, you don't get Really anything. So uh if you really want to see your know, like day seven retention, day fourteen retention, you won't get that from Playtest Cloud. From Playtest yeah. Cloud, you maybe get like day one or fun, like even day three is nowhere to be seen. So yeah, I would say build an MVP and make sure that you have content for at least 10 days, and then you can test after the Playtest Cloud the day seven retention. That's mm-hmm. that's that would be my go-to way, because the problem here is that retention doesn't really budge, (laughs) and this is the biggest issue with all of this. It's not, not it's it's like not really possible to significantly increase retention. Like even if you do really, really drastic changes within the game, I've never seen some like I'm talking something like raising day one retention from forty to sixty. Like, okay, if your day run retention is something like twenty percent and there's something fundamentally broken within your game, yeah, you can raise it to forty percent if you you know fix some bugs, make a proper tutorial, get some like optimizations in the funnel difficulty and so on. But if if we are already at that forty 40 benchmark and we're pretty much optimized to the point that playtest cloud is returning all the videos with five stars i don't think so you can go really that high so that's that's the thing that you need to test the core gameplay because core gameplay will determine your day one retention and, and that's it. You can, you know, you can change the meta game, No problem with that. And like put it on a different uh, vehicle or something that can make some other, other things done in the day seven, day 14 retention. But core gameplay is the first thing that you will see. And it, it's the part where people's dreams get crushed, unfortunately, because it's the first thing that will stop you. It, it, pretty much hitting the market wall in a way that this is the first KPI, the day one, that will be given to you after like six months of work. That's that's usually what happens.
1: So you know, I could potentially go from ten percent day one retention to like thirty or forty percent day one retention. Assuming I fix some drastic things or find like a really big bug that's you know implementing people or something like that. But making the jump beyond that, I think yeah, I would it, agree with you too. Yeah.
0: It's a diminishing returns so unfortunately. And mm-hmm. Same goes for the other metrics. Like, I mean, they they day, day seven, day 14, day 30, you really cannot make that that big of a jump. And, and cool. the other important thing is that this is the part where I would really, really, really consider killing the game. If you don't see, like, uh, something that you were expecting or the numbers are really bad or, you know, one or two iterations didn't really make it because I know it's hard. This is the most problematic thing in the industry, like killing the games. But in the end, if I would ask you, would you? I would ask you, would you invest rather six months in iterating something that you will throw out of the window, or into something that will have a bigger chance, or let's say a much better perspective later down the line? What would be the answer? And yeah. I, and I've seen it. Um, I've seen um, it even during during the years. Like I, I work at a company that was pretty much like a wide label publisher, and I, I've seen like 40 or 50 plus free to play games and some of those like we work with developers and yeah actually that was the answer that thank you that that you did help us pretty much stop the development on this game and we move forward and we move to something better because yeah sometimes it's not it's it's definitely like yeah maybe we'll give it another try the one more one more iteration sunk cost fallacy and stuff like that but uh yeah sometimes you need to know that yeah. You did everything that you could. It's it's like, it's the nature of our industry. Unfortunately, 90, 90 plus percent of games don't make it like to be a commercially successful product and you need to move on. It's a hit driven business.
1: So, so I was recently reading a book and it was written by one of the ex uh, Procter and Gamble CEOs. He kind of worked his way up and then the consultant that kind of helped him come in and redefine the way that they do innovation at Procter and Gamble. And so they were talking, and so this is a different scale, but they were talking about how uh, PNG was doing all of these pharmaceutical tests, and uh, they were developing these products, and they would invest, you know, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars into these pharmaceutical things. And they get down towards the bottom where they could finally actually like release it and have some ROI there. And all these projects were just getting killed at like the last minute for whatever reason. And they they said, well, let's take a step back here. And like, how do we do innovation? And they basically changed their mantra where they basically said, okay, for this potential project, before we do anything, let's lay out what the potential risks are, um, you know, to this project. And, you know, can we find a way to test and validate these things, and whatever is like the most important first, and then move on to the next thing. Um, And so before, like, one of those tests would be like done at the very end of the project after they invested, you know, 10s of millions of dollars into it, and it would fail. And so they found ways to basically like, move that up the channel and try to test that thing first. And so they started killing all all these projects before they really, you know, got into them. And suddenly their success rate started going up a lot more and they were wasting a lot less money. Um, and then they kind of rolled this out to all of the different products that they make for all their brands. The kicker is, is that, you know, there's a lot of different things, but you have to ask yourself the question of like, well, you know, if this game has a CPI here and if it has a retention here, would I still launch it regardless of what this thing is? And if the answer is yes, well, then you throw that out because it's an optional thing. You don't need to care about it. It's like you only figure out like what those most important things are, which I think more than anything kind of comes down to CPI, LTV, retention type things. Um, maybe you could even niche one of the others, uh, depending on what you're going for. But, uh, I, I f- you know,
0: no, just just want to add there that I think yeah, those three are the main ones. But I think the shape of the curve are RPU curve is also really important now because you can get deceived by just looking at these three in a way that the game will work for two weeks and then the curve flattens and you're out. I've That's seen true. this many times, unfortunately. I, I, I've,
1: I've encountered that too. I actually uh, encountered a a game they uh, were trying to innovate on uh, AFK arena's economy because they said, well, let's let's build it on an economy that we know it works. and yeah you know, I, I came in and I, I was like, well okay, well, I'm gonna test your monetization So I think I dropped like a hundred dollars in the game and I was like, i got I got like nothing. it was it was like a waste. it was like, why would I ever spend in this game again when i I literally was still stuck on the same level I had, all the same heroes. I had everything was like just the same, and I was like, "Yeah, this is why your ARPU curve is is flattening, and this is why people are only spending once because you're not giving them anything for it." Um, and then once they fixed that, you know, started to grow again. But yeah, it's crazy how how those different things can impact. But um, thinking about that like PNG type of approach, do you think that's a good way to? innovating and creating a new game ideas like and if so like what would be your first metric that like you would look at Mm -hmm. would it
0: be cpi um yeah cpi is like pretty downhill the funnel i would say uh again like one one of my like industry recommendation would be to watch uh, adam telfer's art of killing games gdc talk there's really really good one exactly on this team uh but back to the point. I would say you need even sooner some kind of gating mechanism that, that you set up there in your company in a way that, let's say, even during the prototype, in a way that, yeah, there should be this, like, does it have potential? Is it fun gate okay. even before that? And after it kind of passes, I know this is like completely subjective and we cannot do any data on this, but it needs to be like that, unfortunately, because games need to be fun. That's, that's just the origin of it. And after it passes that, I would say... Yeah, day one still can be iterated a little bit, but uh, if we get to the point that we have the MVP that is able to give us at least the metrics to something like day one, day seven, and we are okay with that with the thing. Then of course, yeah, let's let's move forward. But if let's say you're not hitting anything sensible within like first two to three months of of that soft launch, and you did already a lot of iterations, like talking something like four to five, assuming that you have not a broken game, not a broken tutorial, not a, not a broken playtest, cloud test. Yeah, that's for some people it can be too fast. For some people it can be too small. Like keep in mind Supercell kills games from 2 months in soft launch it's not something not seen within their portfolio again it, it depends on the velocity of your company so i think that that's also really important that it's about the frequency like how many shots do can can your company take mm-hmm. if, if, if you can only make one shot in 3 years and there are other companies that are making like 10 shots in 3 years like ask yourself if this is the right way to do it so this whole process is just about like increasing the probability of success it's, it's never like guaranteed nobody has the secret <laughs> sil- silver bullet recipe even supercell so i i think yeah, day one, day seven retention is a really good good uh, like starting point. And then if we are, let's say, into that monetization soft launch or something like we're okay with our day one, day seven. So let's move a little bit forward to it. Question that everyone will ask you, like, will it scale? Will it scale at launch? Will it scale if we pump it up with marketing budget? Will we be able to achieve like five mil, four mil revenue per month? Uh, I think then there is the exact time where you should be looking directly at your monetization KPIs, not just the, I, I used to call them primary and secondary, primary are the ones that i would consider be like industry-wide standard so cpi retention rpu and like things like these and the secondary ones would be just the ones that your game produces so let's say number of Clash Royale matches per day or let's say number of level attempts per day or something like that as a metric that only your game can focus on and you can focus on improving it and see like if, if, if your updates are even making anything because worse that can happen that people that do some update, they look at the retention, it didn't budge, it didn't do anything, we didn't do nothing. But there's just a problem of looking at the wrong metric. In a way that retention is not that sensitive to the updates. In a way, you need to like definitely go more and more deep during the soft launch phase. And uh, yeah, monetization can be definitely iterated more than retention. Like if you have a great retention, uh, you're much better off than you have a great monetization and really bad retention. And, like retention can be definitely improved, and even after global launching the game, it can still and it is definitely improved. That's that's normal life cycle free to play mobile but looking at some of these let's say the curves that's i would say the best predictor if it will scale like if you see all the curves flattening after like day 30 day 20 your like day 60 retention is nowhere to be seen yeah it won't scale definitely like because if you push it really hard with the ua budget the metrics will get worse because you know the inventory you will be getting won't be the best one as the algorithm will be pretty much stretched to the limit so always think like let, let, let me give an example from hyper casual games. So, hyper casual games are testing the creatives even before making the whole game, and they're aiming for exactly, super, yeah. super low CPIs. And even if they like, figure out like $0. three cents, four cents CPI at scale, they achieve like $0. 20 to $0. 30 cents <laughs> CPI because that's <laughs> the scale. So, you know, multiplier metrics to some like worse multiplier in the end because that's what happens if the game reaches scale.
1: You, you mentioned monetization a little bit. You know, at, at what point? during a soft launch, does it make sense that you should start Iterating and thinking about monetization. Is that from day one, or is that just, okay, once we've got day one to day seven retention looking like we should maybe look forward to now, can we start blending monetization? And I've heard, I've heard two different approaches. So I'm curious what yours are. Some people are like, you got to be thinking about and blending monetization into the design right away. I see too many games that wait until after and then they kind of try to half bake monetization in, but then it's like this entirely different game that you have to like go back and iterate on again. But, you know, from your perspective, like, when is the best point to actually be thinking about monetization? Because I I do think they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah,
0: uh, (laughs) definitely the paper (laughs) face. Nothing's coded in, it's just on paper. You already need to think about monetization. I've seen so many unfortunate examples of like, yeah, we have a great retention curve. We have a great game. Let's duct tape monetization on top of it. Uh, it can work to some degree, uh, but it's not always the best thing to have. And yeah, thinking about your monetization, because monetization in the end is to some degree trading your retention, because let's say games with difficulty spikes and like difficulty gating, let's say the whole match tree puzzle genre, what they are doing is pretty much optimizing the difficulty for levels with the best conversion. Again, the less... The, the most smallest churn. So, in the end, you're trading retention for monetization and vice versa. So, yeah, definitely think about it from the paper phase when you're thinking about the concept. You don't really need to, like, you know, set up your offer system now, but you definitely need to think about what the game will be scaled upon in a way that how the game will be scaled throughout the years, even. Like, what, as you said, like, if, if you spend 100 bucks in the game, what will you have? Will you have, like, buy everything? in a way that you you just don't have anything else to spend. You will just get nowhere because it's so, you know, not rewarding, not satisfying. Think about your second, third level conversion in a way. Is your second conversion hitting like 50% or 40% or is like 10%? So there's a problem definitely in the funnel. Look for that. Uh, And if we want to go even step further, what about the battle pass system that is all the hype these days like it's again trading um battle pass is trading again monetization for retention the other way around because mm-hmm. it's not the not the main way to monetize your game but again have some better retention curves in a way that you're selling a lot of your economy on discount so but this again needs to be built up from the start i know a lot of games are just putting it right there but it's always better if it's built up from the start in a way that it fits with the game the ui flow and everything it it makes sense it's sleek it's it's smooth and nice, and not that <laughs> it's pretty much like a duct tape based game of like more UI, more UI, more UI, more UI on top of more UI. Which at, at some point will get like to some like unlimited complex scale. That yeah, some games can afford it because they're like super feature heavy, like forex games. But if you are into some like casual, midcore, or even lower, let's say skill ceiling difficulty game, you don't want to get there.
1: Yeah, the uh, the battle pass is an interesting one. Like uh, if you look at uh, clash of clans revenue like before and after they added their their battle pass and stuff they actually their revenue per user or paying user went way 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 down because they're giving away a lot for free luckily they compensate for that because a lot of the non-payers or like the people that stopped paying because it just got you know too crazy Started buying the battle pass because, like, oh, it's five months and I get like all this extra stuff. Um, So for them, like, I think it leveled out and actually was even a little bit positive. Um, But yeah, I I remember I was watching a a battle pass presentation and they showed a graph of like uh, raid shadow legends. Kudos to them making a great game, but they added their battle pass for like a month and their revenue went way down uh, because they gave away way too much stuff. Uh, You know, as you mentioned, it was just kind of added in um, and then they took the battle pass away. I don't know if they've added it back in since, but um, yeah, yeah, I've seen a lot of games do that too. So like, I think it's definitely something you have to think about and decide upon, like, is this the right way to do it? Um, I've seen, because it really, it's about the engagement, like rewarding players for engagement. And that's great if you've got a huge player base and stuff but like if you've got a small smaller game with a small portion of those players that are paying you know adding a battle pass just directly in and giving away a bunch of stuff might just reduce the amount that those pairs are playing and not really compensate you the other way
0: yeah definitely like battle pass Shouldn't be put into the category that it will make or break your game. It can help it, but it can also make it drastically worse. And <laughs> it's a it's a good feature for a team that's like a heavily into live ops, meaning like we're working on some four year old, five year old game. So that's that's definitely validated. But if you're in that phase, that what what are we gonna do? What are we gonna sell? Oh, let's we'll just do the battle pass thing. Like it won't work out like that. Definitely. Like don't don't hope that battle pass will save your monetization. Not not at all.
1: Thinking about live ops a little bit. Is there a role for live ops within that soft launch phase or some sort of approach that you should be thinking about? Like, have you ever seen soft launch be used as a way to kind of test your content treadmill to figure out like how many people we're going to need, what that's going to look like? Can we achieve what we want to do? Like, is is that the right time to do things like that?
0: Um, I would say you should definitely have it planned in a way because the, the other big mistake that I've seen is that games are launched and then for three months when you have that golden cohort in there is no new content like, this, this is the bigger issue. So you definitely should pre-plan your live ops in a way that it can hit in within the first months of the global launch. Because the worst that can happen that you have this, like, really big crawl until global launch. The team is exhausted. Then you launch the game. Everybody pretty much takes a holiday. And then for three months, there's no content in the game that people can pretty much engage with. So, yeah, you should definitely pre-plan your live ops to kick in right after the global launch like as soon as possible. Uh it's it's great to build a template even during the soft launch phase because a lot of games they are run on these like event templates in a way that they just have the template being built and they just change the content of it. So let's say you have an Halloween event, Christmas event or you know spring event whatever whatever your game pretty much needs and the template is already built by programmers, so by the content team whatever and you just build additional content as you go. Uh then of course, think about the content treadmill, of course, that what, what your game needs, like how many units per month, how many levels per month or something like that. Uh, what you should test during soft launch is the actual content consumption speed of your users, I would say. That's that's really important because if you launch the game and I'm talking about soft launch, so we're in soft launch, we launch yeah. the game and we figure out that our payers pretty much eat out through content in two weeks and that's it, meaning that they will churn. So this is even more important that you, I, I remember that, like, I think, uh, yeah, it was a presentation from Gummy Drop when they said that they are having like three, three more difficulties per level because their players just like, eating them so much in a way that you need to find ways to effectively increase your content Space in a way and also think about like as you are building the stuff in your game how content can be recycled in a way or I wouldn't really want to say recycled but pretty much created efficiently so you don't overkill your team like if you're creating some assets if you're creating some levels or designs think about it how modular you can create them how can you reuse them later down the line don't create stuff for one of only because that's the, the worst that can happen
1: it's amazing all the things that you need to be thinking about during a soft launch, I feel like it—it uh, <laughs> it just kind of blows my mind because usually you got the first phase, which is like your technical soft launch. Then you've got your retention phase, monetization phase, live ops phase. People are, you know, probably listening to this and and they're going, "Well, you know, I heard I should try to get." you know, a game concept out every two weeks or, you know, two months or whatnot. What is a reasonable time frame for kind of achieving all these things for folks that are listening or like, what should be a target to think through? Because obviously I don't want to, I want to minimize the amount of time that I'm in soft launch so that I can very quickly get to the point of, yes, I'm going to go forward or no, I'm going to kill this so I can have another shot. And I don't take the, the full six months. Iterating on something that I ultimately kill, right? So mm-hmm. do you have any sort of like thresholds or guides or, or targets that people should be looking towards? Uh,
0: I would say from start to first day one KPI, uh, if you're hitting six months, you're really good. If we're talking about something sensible for like a 10-man team, something casual, not that heavy. So no forex, no synchronous PVP multiplayer super big CCU so something similar to let's say like idle miner like a I- idle game I I think that's completely Mm -hmm. doable. So 10-man team, six months, day one uh, retention, first KPI. That's, that's, I think, definitely doable. It depends, again, uh, on your pipeline as you build it. The other rule that's also really important, like even the first game should be built really modular as the tools uh, that they are using to create it because the next game should be then built even faster. And that's that's the golden rule, that you should be building up your toolkit as you go, that you can iterate and reuse salvage stuff. Again, don't build for one-off only. The other thing is that as you go through these things, I would say the most important thing is the execution in a way that some games are done better than the others in a way that even the, let's say, the production quality heavily depends on your team. That let's say match three games, they really, really now require really, really high production values in a way that that match three tick when, when those candies pop, it needs to be really spectacular pretty much. The FIA fix on it, the the art, the assets and everything, the, the, the production is so high currently in the market, you need to take extra time for polishing. And polishing yeah. is something that will, yeah, in these genres, let's say make or break your game. So I always heard that, yeah, we'll 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 leave the polish later down the line, like somewhere there. It never happens. This is the worst. So I would say rather than, having something super fast try to make the mvp super polish up to that day 10 retention in a way that okay you have a solid day 10 retention curve that you can test around rather than having like so big of a game that you will be then fixing and polishing for next three months because yeah. again you need to be fast you need to be really, really agile and move forward and having something like of a Waterfall production management in a way that all the parts are being built separately and then you into this like infinite merging phase when everything breaks shouldn't be the thing like you should go organically from the like the smallest segment of gameplay that you can achieve and then try to put stuff on top of it because you can iterate already from the core that if it's broken or not
1: okay i have uh one more question related to soft launch and and this is a little bit of a harder one which i know a lot of people are struggling with You know, okay, let's say I end up with 30% day one retention and my goal was 40%. I'm probably not going to get to there by just doing uh, first time user tutorial tweaks or small little things. There's probably some big fundamental changes that I need to do. um, But is there a reasonable amount, let's think about that, like 10-man studio type team. Like mm-hmm. if I have, you know, one, two, three iterations where I do feel like I changed things pretty, you know, massively and I'm still not moving the metric, is that a good sign that, hey, maybe I need to kill this and move on to something something else? Yeah. Are, are there any signs like in terms of like these iterations and things that we try?
0: Yeah, let's assume that everything that's in the category that our game is broken is sold out. And we're not talking about it, meaning like there's no bugs, no tutorial problems, no difficulty problems, and it is as smooth as we can get it. And we ended up with 30% day one retention. Uh, the other thing I will look through is the, of course, the steepness of the curve. Like what's your day seven then? Uh, is it 5%, is it 10%, is it 12%? If it is something like 12 to 15%, is definitely something you can work with. Uh, don't kill it off yet. Um, Some games just have lower day one retention and they have much more stable like tail retention in a way that day seven, day 30 then looks pretty okay-ish. Again, look through like behind the curves, I would say like what what they are telling you because if you see a really steep drop in uh, like between day one and day seven, it can indicate a lot of problems in like different areas. So let's say you run out of content or the game gets boring in a way that there's, you know, no additional mechanics being unfolded in a way that let's say you have that core gameplay, but it's it's still the same thing. Like let's say a match 3 game. If you look at like top market match 3 games, you can see the frequency between adding new mechanics between the levels in the first hundred levels. They vary a lot in a way that you need to give user a lot of content, and that's the thing that moves the curves really, really high. So and and that's that's again what. 40 levels 30 levels for session so that's something that will really kicks in you day one and if you just let's say stretch it so far because your team didn't didn't had enough time to do like all the mechanics and you just have like let's say every 30 levels one new mechanic when then all the other games are having like every five levels to so every six levels like you see where i'm going and, yeah. and and this is this is something that you can easily benchmark against and just look at all the competitor games and look at their games like even even one good thing would be uh that if you look at at the the pacing, like what's your session time? One, one, one really good metric would be what's your session time compared uh, to the session count in a way? Like if you don't have a problem with sessioning, is, is is there a clear end point to your session, by the way? Do users feel that they are like Need to return to the game? Is there some kind of hookup or timer mechanic that returns the user back? Yeah. Because if you have a broken sessioning from the start, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's again the user <laughs> won't won't feel that the issue, and this can heavily skew <clears> the day one day seven thing. So I would aim to something really high in a way to four to five sessions per day, and you can see the engagement metrics there. <laughs> like really really easily and again it's, it's that same paradigm that looking only at day one they say like the retention won't help you that much you need to go deeper and again and if we are already at this session count uh session time metric why not go even deeper like how many battles per day are playing our users how many battles per session are they even upgrading their units do they understand their units oh we figured out they're not even upgrading their units that means they're hitting their head against the difficulty and they're churning out so as you follow the funnel deeper and deeper into these metrics it can tell you a lot of things that are completely invisible into day one day seven retention so I would really advise digging through those first before killing it I love it this was super insightful
1: cool well I have one more question for you which is mm-hmm. the unofficial question because we are on mastering retention um, and that is you know what's one tip or trick or, or lesson that you've learned over time uh, in terms of uh, increasing how long people stick around how do you increase retention?
0: So the, the worst part is, or let's say, the bad news is that there's not really like a simple trick to increase it. That's uh, in the hard way uh, in a way that uh, you can definitely optimize the end, uh, sorry, the start of the game, uh, meaning your funnel, your tutorial, your difficulty curve in the beginning. That's definitely that you first need to do if you see like problems with retention. And after you hit this category, as we talked before, that everything of, uh, above this is solved, then you can look through other things. Uh, the other really big thing I would say is that, make drastic changes. And especially if you are in soft launch, don't be afraid to because I've seen so many of like, let's say on one eye, it would seem like a big iteration, but then as after the results, which didn't bring anything and we looked at it, it really wasn't. Think about the user, like how really it affects his engagement time, how it affects his play session like your, your iteration needs to be really drastic. Like even if you, and also one, one other tip that I would definitely recommend, look at all the killed games. Let's say, look at all the, the, the famous let's say Supercell games that they killed look at all the iterations that they did even like how Brawl Stars was iterated during soft launch how they changed the gacha system because m- most of the time people just look at all the successful games in a way that these are the ones that make it and then everybody is pretty much copying them but try to try to learn from the ones that didn't make it like try to look at the ones that were pretty much killed during soft launch uh it's still possible for you to get like e- either like a YouTube video or something that was a recording of a previous build and the build that was done after the iteration or some, some kind of like hints or what they did because you can then get into the thinking mindset of the designer there or like a production team and then learn from that exact problem that probably somebody was already there in your shoes and trying to solve this issue and you can found some at least things that didn't work out that can again save your time. So that would be definitely something I would strive forward in a way that it can help a lot. And the last thing would be um, yeah, retention is not always the best thing. Think about paying your bills with retention. It won't happen. <laughs> so think about the monetization also. Never forget about it. Like some sometimes people just concentrate so much on the retention that they don't do any anything on monetization. And in the end, I've seen games with subpar uh, retention being completely okay with with their scale and like making the companies profitable because they have great monetization. So sometimes, as the as the diminishing returns we talk about, yeah, you don't really need to focus that much on monetization if the RPU curves look. Good. Like even subpar monetization, if you found your either niche or your blue ocean or your like bread bringing creative that you can scale the game to some degree, it's still okay result. And I wouldn't really fret about it and again the last thing is that it heavily depends on your like company production portfolio like some companies just won't you know cut it out with a game that is making like under half a million a month or something for some studios it could be the best thing ever so that also heavily depends like what's your expectations out of the thing that you want to have something that will pay the bills from the company you want to have something that will be achievement in the industry or depends on like what's your expectation out of it but always think about that retention is really really important but in the end, you cannot pay the bills with it.
1: I love it. And, and here we have a head of monetization. Jacob, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been so much fun. I feel like we've learned a lot. Appreciate you taking the time. Hopefully we can have you back on sometime.
0: Thank you, Tom. See you around.
1: All right.